0: Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast where I'm going to be speaking with a veritable legend of punk rock music and rock music over the last 30 years or so, Marco DeSantis. Marco has played in such bands as Sugar Colt, Popsico, a short stint in the Ataris, and was a member of one of my personal favorite bands of all time, Bad Astronaut. Now Marco teaches music and DJs as well as helps promote bands. His life is intertwined with the California rock scene of the 90s and over the years in so many ways, and I can't wait to hear some incredible stories right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. I am actually pretty stoked for today's guest because having people like Marco DeSantis on the show is exactly why I started this podcast in the first place. Marco has been ingrained oh, in the man. punk scene and rock scene in California for the last 30 years or so. And I figured it would be great to have a first-hand account of some of the coolest stories straight from one of the sources. Marco has been a member of some very well-known bands, but he's also really good friends with bands that are household names as well. So let's get started. Marco, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, man. Thanks for having me,
0: yeah yeah great to have you here so um (laughs) i think it's probably fair to say that people might not instantly recognize your name a lot of people grew up uh, uh, but a lot of people who grew up on punk in the 90s would recognize recognize music you made or know the bands that you kind of came up and grew up with i think most people who have listened to rock music in the past 20 years would probably recognize songs like bouncing off the walls she's the blade and memory by sugar cult as well so you know i kind of want to start with the sugar cult uh, band and then kind of work around the, the timelines kind of like, you know, a Quentin Tarantino movie or something sure. like that. But um, let's get some there some insights here. So I think a lot of people always make the assumption that Sugar Cult was a pop punk band and, and you've been, I wouldn't say adamant, but repeatedly mentioned that you guys weren't really a punk band at all. You were more of just a, a pop rock band. Right. So I think, you know, you and well, I actually you know, had, a, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was one of those weird things. Like I think, we sugar cold, we, we kinda liked being uh I mean, while we appreciated any love we could get from anyone, anytime someone would invite us to a party, we would definitely uh we definitely show up and uh, you know, drink as much free beer as we could. But <laughs> you know, we had this kind of lone wolf vibe about us where not not because we thought we were better than anybody else or because or anything like that. If anything, it was probably an inferiority complex. Yeah. But we just sort of had our own thing where we're like we kind of just do our thing. We don't really wanna have this like we never really subscribe to like the, the sort of like tribal kind of group think, um, yeah. clicky vibe of, of the, the, you know, it tends to happen in a lot of music um, when you get, when you, when you end up sort of like um, getting attached to uh, any one particular genre. And I think that yeah. that's just a natural thing. All the guys in our band, we, you couldn't have four more different individuals. If you look at Sugar Cold individually, you would never even like, it would, blow your mind that we're even in the same band with each other you know we all like such different things and come from such different backgrounds musically um but you know to me that's what's fun about the idea of a band is you don't just get this echo chamber of of like four dudes that are all a hundred percent um just carbon copies of each other but just happen to play different instruments you get like that that interesting I mean, you, it, it, you're you shooting for the the band to be bigger than the sum of its parts. And I think yeah. you get that more when you have an eclectic, diverse group, cross-section of people coming together with the one thing in common is to, like, make the songs as awesome as they can possibly be. Yeah. And then if they turn out to be punk songs, they turn out to be ballads, they turn out to be, rock, you know, mid-tempo, whatever it is, but you're not, like, your eyes aren't on the prize of, like, we have to sound like Blink-182. <laughs> You know, like, it's
0: not yeah. like that. We wanted to do our own thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you and I had a bit of an Instagram chat about Cheap Trick, uh, who was an absolute powerhouse of what I would call pop rock back in the eight, the 70s and 80s, a band that you kind of either loved or completely got ignored for some reason. Um, so I think that was kind of like a very... I think when, when when you started posting about the stuff with Cheap Trick, I was like, man, you know what? Cheap Trick is actually a good example of another band that never fit anybody's mold of what rock and roll was. And I think you guys have a lot more in common with like a Cheap Trick or maybe 30 Seconds to Mars kind of with that LA rock style versus like a pop punk rock band or something like that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I understand the purpose of having categories and all that kind of stuff, but I, I just, you know, I, and I know this sounds probably kind of glib, but I, I, I'm I very, like, romantic about the conceit that art is supposed to be creative. And art is supposed yeah. to sound, you know, is is not supposed to be cooperative. Art is yeah. supposed to do its thing and, and kind of run wild. And it doesn't mean it has to be, like, artsy for the sake of being artsy. You can still write, like, three-minute pop songs about girls. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> within that, you don't have to be tethered to these, like, you know i mean for us it was just simple like okay the limitations we imposed on ourselves was like music that can be made with two guitars a bass and a drum kit and some um and some vocals you know and so we didn't add we didn't incorporate like we didn't have a you know a lot of keyboards we didn't really have um a lot of samples or anything like that not because we don't love that music because you know we do but like it was just that was the art experiment you know and then we had these like weird little rules and i got the idea from like you know, I love white, I love Jack White. I love the white stripes. Yep. Um, I love how he kind of imposed this like, okay, in the white stripes, it was like drums, guitar, vocals, red, black, white. That's it, go. You know? Yeah. Very <laughs> primal. And you get so much cool art with limited, you know, a limited set of crayons in the box. Yeah. Um the Ramones, another great example, where it's just like, here's the thing. This is how your hair is going to look. This is what you're going to wear. And this is how we're going to play. Go. One, two, three, yeah. four. You know? And so we kind of liked that. Like, we had these weird little things. Like, we wouldn't, in our band, we had like a no blue jeans and no shorts allowed on stage. So if you see any picture of Sugar Cult playing the warp Tour, you're never going to see a picture of us like wearing shorts um, or like chilling out, wearing a pair of, of comfortable blue jeans. We always had, had this like almost military, like, i like ideal where it was like you want to suit up to play the show doesn't mean yeah. you're gonna like we're not gonna take it to the level of like slipknot and have like masks and stuff yeah like that. And, and
0: you weren't glam was, rock or anything like that where you're wearing like not, tights
1: not totally like but like we we respect to you know respected an element of glam rock in yeah. that there was a showmanship
0: and yep, a sort sure.
1: of separation from just like you know um you know, how you rolled out of bed in the morning. Because I think yeah, exactly. some of that, you know, that, it was just something about like, hey, let's, let's take this music to town, you know? Yeah. And the bands we thought were cool growing up, you know? You know, I think a lot of that has an influence on you. And um, anyways, blah, blah, blah. But I do appreciate the Cheap <laughs> Trick comparison. And I think it's appropriate because like, Cheap Trick had like two good-looking guys and two dorky guys. And our <laughs> band had two good-looking guys and two dorky guys. I would consider myself one of the dorky guys.
0: Uh, I was gonna um, say I was gonna the, say who's he, a good looking guy. So the other one who's like the ugly guys that are would be Tim like, and hey, okay,
1: Tim and <laughs> Aaron. And then me and the drummer were the weirdos. Okay. So um and then you had like songs that everybody knows, like I want you to want me, surrender, or maybe yeah. like you know, but then there's so much more to their catalog if you if yeah. you get into cheap trick music and you realize there's so much more than like the hits you hear on the radio. Well, it's the same thing with Sugar Call. People, Most people know Bouncing Off the Walls, and Memory, Second America, Pretty Girl. But then there's all these other songs that you can check out. A lot of people, um, like, retroactively have discovered our third record, Lights Out, mm-hmm. which they assumed that they didn't hear because it didn't have, like, a giant hit on it and you didn't get a really big push. Well, that was for no fault of the record's owner yeah. or for our band's own. It was because our record company, on had all this drama that happened to it. But in my opinion, I always thought that record was really like we were so proud of that record and we we're so excited about that record. It just never really got to deliver on its full promise. It kind of yeah. got its life cut short a little bit. So a lot of fans have gone back and maybe they they assumed it wasn't a good record or because they didn't hear about it that much and they go yeah. back and listen to it and they're like, "Holy shit, this might be your best record," you yeah. know. So it's kind uh-huh. of fun, you know.
0: Yeah, and one of those obviously- that oh sorry i didn't want to cut you off but i was just gonna say obviously no, like you're, you're so, never, you know
1: you have to you have to cut me off or i'll keep on going forever
0: <laughs> i was saying like you, you obviously have to do the you're you're doing the, the 20th anniversary of, of start static the the first album but you know yeah. and, and, and you got a, an anniversary edition of that and we'll talk about that in just a second but yeah you know when you go into the second and third album there are songs that are what i would consider a bit darker a little bit moodier than the first album the first album does have that kind of brighter sound to it than probably the second and third albums. So, um, let's talk about Start Static and the twentieth anniversary, and we can talk about the the sound of the second and third albums as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, um, well, here, let me see, let me see if I can grab it here, in my <laughs> little studio here. Um, I've got it right here. If anybody's watching this, this is the I twenty year anniversary. Uh, I'm not sure if the I think the vinyl might be sold out, but you can still like access it on like streaming and stuff because there's a few cool yeah. little bonus tracks we can kind of brought out of the vaults. The vault the vaults, the vaults. Uh Sam yeah. Sorry, which was a demo, probably the demo that got us the record deal that una- enabled us to make this record. And then um our cover of an Elvis Costello song called No Action, and then a live version of Bouncing Off the Walls. And actually on Spotify. And, Apple Music, and on all the streaming platforms, you can also access another bonus track, which is a, a live version of Stuck in America, nice. um, which is just kind of cool. But, you know, it's for people who like to collect vinyl. It's kind of fun because it's, a, you know, it's got the wraparound artwork and, yep. um, you know, has some different stuff on the inside. And then there's like, you know, we have a um, clear vinyl and I wrote some liner notes that are sort of nerdy and cool to read if you're a <laughs> fan. It tells you all about what was going on when we were making the record. And then this is cool. So it's that clear awesome. vinyl. And then there's also one, it's funny, they asked us, they're like, if you could have two colors of vinyl, what would you choose? And we we chose clear and we chose black vinyl. And they're like, don't you want a color? Like splatter <laughs> or something? And we're like, I feel like black vinyl is a color now because everybody yeah. does colored vinyl. Yeah. And I just love the idea of like, you know, having something that just looks the same as like a Beatles record or a Rolling Stones record yeah. or like an Elvis record, like, it's like the classic Black vinyl. There's something about that to me is, is
0: just super cool. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, I grew up so, on.
1: That's uh. So we're excited about that. Twenty years goes by quick, man.
0: Yeah, sure does. I mean, I was like, I, I was just thinking like, bouncing off the wall. Yeah, I, I feel like I just remember that coming out like seven, eight, ten years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, that was 2001 <laughs> or whatever. I was like, oh my, wow, I'm old.
1: <laughs> uh, tell me about it, man. It, it sneaks up on you, but it's cool, mm-hmm. you know. It's cool. Yeah. Also, as my friend, cool as my friend likes to say. My buddy Joe Sib, who's a stand-up comedian, but also yeah. is um, you know big, a big dude in the music business. He owns a label called Side One Dummy. He has a great quote. He says, "He's getting old is what happens when you don't die." <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose it's a, it's a better option, you know what I mean? So exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so a a little cool story that I I, I read in some of the notes about Sugar Cult a lot, but I don't hear people talking about And I wanted to check in with you is that um, you actually met Super, uh, you met Sugar Cult at a super drag concert. And that's how you kind of got into the band. Uh, That band was actually one of my freaking favorite bands in high school and sucked out was like was probably still one of my favorite 100, you know, top 100 songs of all time. Is that story true? And and why did you guys go to a super drag concert?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, yeah. Super drag, such a great band, such an, yeah. another great, like kind of underrated, maybe misunderstood band of their era. Um, but like, I mean, that record, like re- regretfully yours and, yeah. uh, and the one after it, you know, a uh, head trip in every key and actually the one in the Valley of the dying stars, the one after it, like that band is, is so important. You know, I, I feel like you, you don't have, you don't have sugar cult without super drag and to be honest, you probably don't have the Foo Fighters without Super Drag either. It's like they're such a uh, people, you know, forget how much of an in- impact that band had on so many other bands that became much bigger. Yeah. Um, probably the reason why the Foos used Nick Raskulinecz as their producer for some of their records was because of In the Valley of the Dying Stars, you know, and yeah. obviously Rob Cavallo did. Um, did the, the record before and he had done Green Day Records and all kinds of stuff. No, actually, sorry, not Rob Cavallo. I think it was Jerry Finn who did Head Trip in Every Key. And Jerry Finn produced also, he mixed Green Day's records, but he produced Blink Bay too. Anyway, yeah, nerdy, yeah. nerdy stuff here yeah, that yeah. People are listening I,
0: to I know that people are gonna start Dude, Googling shit right now me. as we're talking.
1: <laughs> Google it, man. It's fun. Um, but uh no, it's fun to geek out on shit like that. Yeah. But so super drag coming through Santa Barbara, which is our hometown. Um, they were coming through Santa Barbara on their head trip and every key tour way back when, and I believe it was 99. And, um, I was playing bass in some local band with just some friends of mine. And we got the call from our friend who was like in charge of booking bands. And she was like, yo, the band Superdrag is coming through town. They don't have an opening band, but so they want to see if like we can get a couple local bands to just be like what they call local support. So, you know, mm-hmm. the hope is that you're going to bring all your friends to come see you play. So we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. I love Superdrag. It'll get us into the show for free, you yeah. know, and then I get there to play and there's this other band taking the stage and I knew everybody in town. And my Santa bar was a pretty small town. And I knew everyone yeah. in all the local bands. And I see these guys that I'd never seen before. And I just assumed maybe they were like a touring band that was like out opening for Superdrag or some, maybe a band from another town that came came in to play the show. Yeah. They looked pretty cool, and they got up and played, and there was nobody there. But um, I watched their set, I just sort of stood out there just because I had nothing else to do, and watched them. And I was like, dude, these guys are great, man. These songs are really good. They they seem like they're pretty ramshackle. It's pretty like, you know, inexperienced and raw. But like, you could tell that the songs were good. And and I got to say, like, Tim, right out of the gates, our lead singer, Tim Pagnotta, Mm -hmm. um, he just had that like, what I like to call it, undefinable something. He had that sort of yep. star quality that sort of je ne sais quoi where you're just like yep. you don't know how to explain it but you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. For you sure. Feel me? Yeah. He has that thing and you just like there I was just like, there's something about this guy. He's got this like he looks he looks like he's supposed to. He looks like he's born to do this. Like he's yeah. up there, he looks like he owns the place. He looks he's presenting it as though he's the headlining band that's got a major label record deal
0: yeah. <laughs> behind
1: him. And and he, so I went up to him afterwards and I was like, dude, what's going on? I'm Marco. What's, you know, um, one of the bands, you know, who are you guys? And he's like, oh, dude, my name's Tim. He's like, that was actually our first show ever. We're just like some kids that go to the community college here. Wow. And we just like threw this thing together because we got an opportunity to like, you know, someone said, hey, they needed local support for the show. he was a super drag fan so he you know he kind of like they just kind of cobbled it together they'd been jamming together and i was like dude that's insane you guys are so good um and we just kind of like exchanged numbers and uh he actually had come up to me and and it it acknowledged like he liked what i was wearing because i sort of dressed different than all the other guys in my band i had like a suit jacket on and just i looked more like the way his band was dressed you know and so we had this weird sort of mutual kind of admiration and exchange numbers. And then it was just kind of like, just call them up. I almost feel like you're like, when you first start dating a girl, <laughs> you know? You're like talking <laughs> on the phone for hours and making each yeah, other... I feel like it's case. harder to That's talk to an adult awkward
0: man awkward than it is awkward. to talk to a woman on a phone.
1: <laughs> it's weird, like, yeah, because there's that weird, like, oh, we'll have a beer together. Uh, but it was yeah. like, we talk on the phone, and we just nerding out about music and um, just about th- kind of bonding over things we thought were cool and things we thought were lame. And you know, kind of talking about super drag, talking about the local scene in our town. And then it just kind of like kind of came to that weird, con- awkward conclusion where it was like, dude, why are we not playing in a band together? You know? And I was like, dude, it's too bad you guys already have a guy playing bass because I'd love to play bass. And I mean, I've told this story a million times. And then eventually he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then he, he calls me up one day and he's like, leaves a message, a voicemail. And he's just like, Um, I don't know what you're doing, but, uh, you know, give me a call, I have an idea. And I call him, he's like, so I feel like this band is supposed to have another guitar player because there's so many cool little parts to these songs, but I can't play them while I'm singing and, you yeah. know, playing at the same time. And uh, so they'd done a couple shows and I think he realized that the band wasn't meant to be a trio. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he asked me, he's like, I don't think, you know, we're going to, I don't think our bass player is going to leave anytime soon. But would you want to try playing guitar and i was like sure dude you know go for it <laughs> like i wasn't really a guitar player guitar player like that's not what yeah. i really self i started out on guitar incidentally but i had switched to bass when i was a teenager and kind of played bass for several years and yeah. um and so i was like at the time i was kind of just looking for a change and i wasn't really happy where i had landed and so it was like just the right novelty like where was like hey guitar that sounds like fun and this guy's cool and I like the band and I got in there with them and I really had like low expectations. Like I just thought we'd just have some fun after school and work and just be a local band for a little while until I figured out what was next. Yep. And all of a sudden, a couple years, you know, fast forward two years later, we were making our first record, got a warp tour, started touring. And then it was just like this like 10 year plus whirlwind of nonstop activity. <laughs> um, and here we are 20 years later talking about it. <laughs>
0: You know? Yeah. I, and I mean, it wasn't like your first rodeo or anything like you had actually been in Popsico, which was a, a pretty big band coming up through Santa Barbara at the time. You guys were basically slated to be one of these bands that, you know, that Sugar Colt ended up being or could have been another another band that you could have played with for years and years and years. But obviously that band was cut short due to the, the death of, of the lead singer, Keith. Um, but
1: Yeah, let me talk I, to do, you. I, I appreciate how you did your homework. I, I'll yeah. show you a little artifact here. Popsico. It's kind of funny that Popsico, which was my band, and, and uh, you know before Sugar Cult, we ended up we were like the local band, and actually this is at the same venue. It just was under a different name back then. Same address, same venue in Santa Barbara as the place where we opened for Super Drag. Nice. Where me and Tim met. <laughs> nice. So there's something about this address. I think there's like a, a <laughs> like brewery brewery there now, but like <laughs> about uh, 110 Santa Barbara Street my band Popsico opened for this band called Green Day that had just put out their album, Dookie. Yeah. So they just, like Green Day was just popping up and about to become like on the radio and blow up and become the legends that they are today. That was like day one of Green Day. And you actually headlined for music as well. That's right. We also did that. So we had to play with Green Day and Weezer. And this last um, summer, I went to saw Green Day and Weezer play Dodger Stadium. And I was like, dude, I've played like clubs with both of those bands. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, that, it's a crazy thing that I had this band that like I had built from the ground up. And we had gotten like really close to some success. And then we made a record on our own, Off to a Bad Start, which actually is going to get re-released on vinyl this year. So I'm super yeah. excited about that. Um, a label called Big Stir Records is going to put it out, Off to a Bad Start by Popsico. And uh, there's a few songs you can stream from Popsico on, uh, on like, you know, whatever, on whatever streaming platform you guys, you guys do, Spotify yep. or whatever. And, um, but yeah, but it's a trip because that was kind of the band that was like the, the would have been, should have been one where you're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is going to happen. I can just taste it, it feels crazy, you know, you're never ready for it. It felt like all the signs were, all the stars were aligning and then it just didn't work and our singer unfortunately, you know, know, died young and that was kind of the end of that. And then there was a few years of just kind of in the wilderness where I had some other bands that kind of of did this, that and the other. I did some hired gun stuff where I'd play like in punk bands and do some regional touring and nothing really connected to the point where it felt like it was going to like take root, you know, and and really, yeah. like, feel like, okay, this is the new, this is the new thing, this is a new beginning, um, yeah. and so there's a lot of dead ends, and honestly, like, you know, just when I was probably starting to think about, like, just kind of hanging in, you know, hanging it up, and just going, well, I, I gave it, I, you know, I gave rock and roll a try, that's when I met Tim, and that's yeah. when I joined Sugar Cult in their, like, first few months of existence, and that's when we, like, Just like, you know, I had that attitude where Tim, it was his first band ever. Aaron, our bass player, it was his first band ever. Me, it was like, I had been playing in bands since I was 13 or 14 years old, you know, and I had been early bloomer, and then even further back, you know, Lost Kittens (laughs) wasn't even the first. I had all these bands from when I was just a kid, and then, you know, it looked like, and then by the time we got to Popsico, it was like, oh man, there it is, and then that didn't work, so it was like, I started out as the, the early like before everybody else and I ended up having to wait for everybody else to have their careers and then my band made it finally. So Sugar mm-hmm. was kind of the like Hail Mary at the end of a long, um, you know, you know, l- long stretch of, of just like, you know, nonstop rock, you know, as a at a local level. And I was so happy that, you know, once we started to to sort of like take off, I just had this attitude where it was like, you guys. I know what it feels like to have a band that starts to get some action and then falls apart or whatever. Like we got to do this right. We got to go all out. Like we got to play every show like it's our like it's our last. We got to you know make these records that are built to last. We got to avoid the temptation to jump on trends. Yeah. And like, you know, cuz that stuff is is always going to feel like the short-term solution. The the temptation in the short term is always going to feel a lot more attractive than the the longer game the boring you know slow and steady that's always a tough sell especially when you're young and restless you just want to like get laid you just want to be cool (laughs) but like it's like dude take the like take the high road let's make records that are like you know not trying to be the best record of 20 of 2004, let's make a record that is going to sound good in 2004, 2008, 2014, 2024, 2034, let's make a, a, no matter how many records we get to make, let's make sure each one of them is, you know, built to last rather than just built to be trendy and cool for like, you know, or we were trying to, I mean, this sounds so pretentious, but like, let's approach these records as though we're making like writing novels, not like we're writing magazine articles.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to say it, because, you know, you take more time and think about what you're going to say as opposed to just getting the work done. Right. It's like you don't want to just get the homework to turn it in. You actually want to make sure that you're doing it the right way and then turn it in when it's actually done well.
1: Well, you know, especially especially when you're a rock and roll band, because, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's all rock and roll. You want to call it pop punk. You want to call it emo. You want to call it power pop. You want to call it alternative rock, indie rock hard rocks you know heavy metal whatever you want to call it it's it's all the same pizza with just different toppings okay yeah. it's three it's three chords and something to say you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> It's, it's it, yeah. and so we as a band making a rock and roll record in the year 2001 it's in 2004 2000 you know this this century you're kind of standing on the shoulder of giants you're kind of going yeah. dude the beatles have already existed the clash has already existed nirvana has already existed the foo fighters have already been around for like fucking six or seven years yeah like oasis already exists you know (laughs) green day exists like what why do we need to if we're not gonna you know tom petty already exists like what are we doing so you know it's like the attitude is like you can either make this like sort of disposable music that's like sort of a single serving like Thing, or you can try to like honor the legacy of like the records you love, and go, dude, let's let's at least like try to make a record that's gonna um, that's going to you know stand the test of time. And you never, I mean, you can't you can't do that by design. You all you can do is, is attempt to. And the beauty of being 20 years later, at least we have 20 years between us and our first record now, is you can look back on it and you kind of like hesitate. You're like, oh god, I hope we. You don't know if you've achieved your goal until. Yeah. 10 or 20 years has gone by, and then you go back and listen to it and go, Oh shit, this sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make me cry so sometimes. badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It starts that, there's parts that start static where you're like, Ooh, like we show, we show our inexperience and our naivety. But that's also something beautiful because you know you could never make that record again.
0: Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause I, you try to polish it up and make it better. And it's like, why doesn't it, why don't you just leave it as it is? It, it, it would lose
1: its charm and its character. Yeah. Like part of the character of that record is it's got that like bratty first record. You've, it's, it's your handshake with the world like, and, and that's kind of exciting. You can never really, yeah. you can never make your first record tw- uh, twice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that said, I feel like we approached each of our records. With a brand new, each of our records had a new set of circumstances. With with Start Static, we were a brand new band, getting signed for the first time, making the first record. The second record, Palm Trees and Power Lines, it had a different set of, of newness to it because we had a new drummer. We had Kenny yeah. Livingston that joined the band because um, Ben Davis had departed, and so we having a new drummer is like having, I don't know, I, it's, I guess this is a shitty analogy because i never had a heart transplant but it's almost like having a new heart or having a new engine put in your car or like maybe, you know, just that it's a, you're still you, but there's a different system in place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree.
1: Um, Yeah, 100%. You know, and it just, so even though it was still Sugar Cult, still me, Tim and Aaron and and the band and our songs, like with Kenny in the band, it just, everything just like, I mean, drummers are so important. I feel bad for drummers because they they don't usually do the interviews and they don't usually, (laughs) you know, get recognized, picked out of a lineup. I mean, once I remember Kenny would come out all covered in sweat because he was the hardest working guy in our band, and like some kids would come up to him and go, "Hey, when's the band coming out?" (laughs) And he'd be like, (laughs) "I mean, luckily,
0: usually if you have a of
1: ego that you are not going to choose drums because that's kind of more of like a you're hiding behind a bunch of equipment." So, you're, you're going to be like a, if you're more of a peacock, you're going to be the lead singer, like a lead guitar player, or you know? Yeah. If you, you know, so it didn't hurt his ego because he's a pretty confident guy. But just, <laughs> you know, drummers don't get enough credit, man. I mean, obviously, there's certain drummers that are like front men, like Travis Barker or something, yeah. but like drummers, you know, dude i mean i'll just say like drummers make or break a band i mean having kenny in our band made us sound like grown-ups like we're all a bunch of hacks but kenny was such (laughs) a beast on the drums that it just like kicked us up into like the like we could go we could we could go head to head with like anyone because he was like he was that kind of drummer where it was just like he was like a he was a drummer's drummer and it was just like having him in the band just just turned us from like awkward teenagers into like grown men you know what i mean like grown ass men (laughs) we went from awkward insecure teenagers to grown ass men on palm trees and power lines and then for lights out so the new the new factor of lights out was like we had a new label the new home you know our our record had, had we'd gone from this label to that label and then our things behind the scenes changed hands and we ended up on this label called V2 Records. <clears throat> so it was the same label as, as the White Stripes and Rock yeah. and Terrors and a bunch of other big shit. Um, you know, and like they had this huge engine and they were just ready to just you know, fuel inject and like, all, they, were, they were like we will spare no expense. We'll go all systems go, you guys have proved yourselves. At that point we had toured with Green Day on their American Idiot tour. We had toured Europe playing arenas and stadiums opening for blink 182 we had done the main stage of the warp tour yeah you know where we're like one of the main bands coming out in the whole sea of people you know so at that point we had this like we had this confidence where like the first record we're like we didn't know what was going to happen we're just a local band from a small town by the beach no idea you know if anyone's going to care first record and then we go out there and just play nonstop, two shows a day three shows a day whatever we had to do open for anybody who would, you know, any, play any place that has surface that we could put in an electrical outlet. So we just, the first album was that. Second album was like, okay, we feel like we know how this works a little bit now. We feel more confident musically. We've, you know, we got a little bit more of a, you know, understanding of who our audience is and what what to expect when we go out and play shows. We got a new drummer. That was the tone of Palm Trees and Power Lines. A yeah. memory. And then by the time we got to Lights Out, it was like, dude, we're ready to, we're ready to be the upperclassmen now. Like we yeah. felt like we were ready to like not apologize for our existence anymore, and like start doing headlining shows, start doing just bigger, bigger, bolder moves. And then unfortunately, things kind of just like fizzled out with our with our label, and we we never fully recovered from that. But yeah, so uh, you know, it's a it's a record people should listen to.
0: Yeah, for sure. And during that time, you actually started a side project with one of your good friends, Joey Cape from Lagwagon, who you've known for years and years in Bad Astronaut. Now, yeah. Bad Astronaut's actually one of my absolutely favorite bands of all time. Um, you know, this was you, oh, uh, Joey, and Derek Plord who played in Legwagon, also from the Ataris as yeah. well. Um, but let's talk about this because Bad Astronaut was also, right. it was like these guys from Santa Barbara who kind of knew, were known for punk and, and punk bands that put together what I would consider a very not punk albums at all And it's just a rock slash, you know. It's more like maybe in the alternative genre, if you want to say that. But what was it like, like working with Joey and Derek in that band versus the other projects you've been in? And I know you obviously did like a a re-release of that as well with a big box set. Yeah.
1: Um. I mean, dude. See, I I feel like. I mean, well, okay. okay, So coming from Santa Barbara, like I said, it's kind of a small town. And Derek and I grew up in the same neighborhood. And we played in our first band ever when we were kids called Illiterate. We were like literally taught each other how to play music. We were just, you know, we were just, we had no idea what we were doing. Just completely like, you know, flunking upwards, figuring it out as we went along. And um, just doing it for fun after school, you know. And then eventually that, you know, there's a whole long story there. But like, you know, eventually that spiraled into something that eventually kind of became wagon. And yep. so then Derek had a few years with Lagwagon, and then, you know, that eventually he departed Lagwagon and he was having some problems. But so there was a few years that had gone by, and like D- Joey was always like the kind of cool older kid in the neighborhood. Well, he wasn't from our neighborhood, but in our town. Yeah. And like we knew each other. We, it's a very small town, Santa Barbara. Everyone who plays music knows each other, you know. So you had yeah. Lynn Strait from Snot, Joey from Lagwagon, you know, the Mad Cat, he's um, Nerf Herder, all these bands in our little small town Dishwalla, Ugly Kid Joe, Toad the Wet Sprocket, you know. Yep. no effects lived there for a while It's a very small town look it up on a map google it right now and like you'll yep. see like oh shit that's a pretty small place you can get from one end of town to the other in like 15 20 minutes
0: yeah i think the but population is that town, crazy you know, people... like forty thousand people or something yeah totally.
1: and there's yeah. like you know there's so there's this it's like this very like incestuous music community where we all kind of were either playing in bands together dating the same girls using the same equipment <laughs> um going to each other's shows going to the after parties, whatever it was. Um, and then so, you know, that's just sort of the spirit. No matter how much success any of us have had professionally, we still sort of carry that like small town kind of like scene of friends. Like it feels more like a family. Like I think of my friends from Santa Barbara, Chris Shiflett, who's the guitarist of the Foo Fighters now, you yeah. know, like we're all like kind of rock and roll family, you know? Yeah. And so, um, we've always just like you know, it's, it's never been this like calculated business move like hey you know what we should do we should start a side project because i think we can make a bunch of money just like purely for the l- joy of music and m- more even more than the joy of music an excuse to hang out with friends like the yeah. same way a bunch of a group of guys might get together and go fishing or go play golf even if they're not depending on fishing to eat or they're not professional golfers you know you just do it for the joy of doing it and getting together with your friends and spending time you know and so yeah. that's really what bad astronaut was it was just joey derek and i realizing we had we missed playing music with each other and we like liked a lot of of cool diverse records and we started to feel like a little bit you know like oh man our bands are kind of getting known for a certain certain sound and there's these other sounds we want to explore let's do everybody a favor, rather than having Lagwagon and Sugar Cult start to like dabble in all these other styles of music, let's start a side project where we can sort of just have free reign to do whatever the hell we want and just get together and drink some beers and see what happens. And that's really what happened with that astronaut. It was like the spirit of just like, get together with friends, make up some songs, and then just no rules at all. We can have slow songs, fast songs, long songs, short songs, you know in the studio makeup songs as we go like use different weird recording techniques and you know um joey had a real big crush on like Radiohead's, like kid a and amnesiac and all yeah. those kinds of and like um okay computer and like this band granddaddy we were listening to a lot um you know there's just a lot of like elliott smith there's a lot of things outside of what you would think we all liked based on our public yeah personas or images or what mostly ends up being what critics say about you, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, so we just had this chance to kind of just, it's just a playground, just go in the studio. And, and honestly, Orange Whip was owned by a guy named Angus cook who plays electric cello. So we were recording his studio. We're like, well, dude, why don't you just join the band? So be our cello yeah. player. And the other guy who worked there was this guy, Tom flowers, who, um, is an amazing guitar player and producer and mixer. And so we're like, why don't you be the guitar player? Um, and then, you know, it was just kind of like, who else? Anyone who's going to walk in the room <laughs> is going to end up in this band. Yeah, you know? doing why not? Back We're not a real those. band. We're not gonna do like... Yeah, exactly. So you could have been in the band too. And I mean, honestly, if you listen to some of the records, you hear like these voices, like these little, like you hear someone like counting at the beginning of, um, I think it's at the beginning of the, um, 12 Small Steps record. Yep. Um, and the that's one, like
0: two, three, four, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's my my current, my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time. Like, we just brought her in, they're like, hey, come here, count to, count to nine a bunch of times, and then we'll chop it up. <laughs> Another one, you hear, like, um, you hear some, like, a, a guy and a girl talking to each other. That was literally, mm-hmm. like, the two, like, like, college kid interns at the recording studio were like, hey, Pete, <laughs> hey, Alyssa, get over here, say this on the microphone, you know? Like, it was just that kind of spirit. Like, there was really... Some of the weird outros you hear that sound all phasey and weird, that's literally because we were at rehearsal and like improvising and like had one of these old school like tape (laughs) recorders and we would like record our rehearsal in case we came up with any good ideas. And then what we did was we just put this in there, push play and put a microphone up to it and literally put that on the record. Yeah. So instead of recreating it in the studio, we just like recorded off of a shitty little like (laughs) tape And, like, just – I remember Joey went to Radio Shack at the time. Radio Shack still existed. And he spent, like, you know, 200 bucks on just the cheapest microphones they had. Like, the shittiest microphones Radio Shack had. Like, little dictating machines that, like, you know, lawyers use for, like, you know, those things that you do. Or, like, old 80s answering machines. Like, just anything that had a shitty microphone in (laughs) it. Exactly. Just, like, the the shittier the mic, the better. And he (laughs) just bought them all and brought them in there and, like – put them on a table and plugged them in and recorded the drums with those microphones.
0: That's crazy. So you had
1: that and you had the fancy microphones. So you had that to mix in. So you have this like microphones that were like distorting and like, yeah. you know, with like really nice, fancy microphones, that mentality, that sort of like Sergeant peppers, pet sounds, okay. Computer that's that using the studio as a, as an instrument, you know, was, was, and I don't think, you know, I think we got it right. Maybe, you know, six out of 10 times, but you
0: know, every one of the albums is, is fantastic. I've listened to them probably 300 to 500 times each. And oh, man, you know, thank, you. Uh, thank it's, you. It's I think when, when you put minds together like your guys' minds and just let all the barriers wipe away, You don't you don't get the same record that you've ever heard before. And as soon as I heard uh Acrophobe the first time, I was like, well, what the holy shit is this? This is amazing. And then the second one came out. Obviously, uh uh, Houston, we have a drinking problem. And I was like, this is fucking even better. Like it's taken it up a notch. And then obviously uh Derek passed away while doing some of the recording for the the third album um for 12 small steps, one giant disappointment. But that that I I do want to touch on that because obviously
1: don't forget the split EP we did with Armchair Martian, too. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was pretty songs cool. Where you... covered their songs. Yep. That's getting re-released this year, too. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Breaking news, um, I guess, huh? But, yeah,
1: so, you know, I, th- I mean, there's there's a weird, like, sometimes I feel like I have this, like, you know, I it's like this identity crisis where it's like, are you the guy from Sugar Cult? You know, Or are you the guy from Bad Astronaut? Are you the guy from Santa Barbara? Are you the guy from LA? It's like, the, the I guess the moral of the story is you don't have to you know it doesn't have to be either or you don't have to check yeah. one box you know yeah. and and i just kind of like if anything i just i hope our bands serve as an example to anybody out there who wants to play music it's like dude you know give yourself permission to just be an artist and not feel like you have to like um like i love that line by the song boxcar by one of my favorite bands jawbreaker they say mm-hmm. like I'm coloring outside your guidelines. I was passing out while you were passing out the rules. One, two, three, four, whose punk? was the score? (laughs) It's just, it's like, give me rules. It's, or Picasso, his quote, you know, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. Don't just learn the rules, learn them so you know where the guidelines are. And then fucking color outside of the guidelines. Like, you don't have to be, um... You know, you don't have to be a punk band the same way someone else is a punk band. Yeah. You know, to me, Sugar Cult was very punk rock in spirit, but we were never punk rock by design. We never yeah. sat down and had a like at a boardroom table and said, let's be a punk band. You know, yeah. you be the guy that does this kind of a jump. I'll be the guy that wears the Hurley T-shirt and you be the guy that wears the Atticus t, <laughs> t- and It was just never that conversation. It was just let's be a rock and roll band. Hey, turns yeah. out the songs people like by our uh, people like the song bouncing off the walls. It's kind of punky, I guess, you know? Yeah. So then people start calling you a punk band. You're like, well, what about lost in you? And I changed my name. Like, let's just not talk about those right now. Yeah. You know, what about yeah, those the experimental
0: California?
1: tracks? <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, I don't know. I know people in all of those bands, I, yeah. you know, we're friends with all these bands. They used, we, you know, we're great friends with them and, and, and good Charlotte and uh, Jimmy Eat World, and, and we've toured and become friends with so many of these bands. Motion City Soundtrack, the last thing any of those bands are talking about is, you know, whatever kind of box the the, the culture has put them in, you know? Yeah. You talk to the, like, oh my God, like the dude, the bass player from Good Charlotte will turn you on to, like, Thundercat and the most crazy fucking Neo <laughs> Jazz, you know, the, the dude from Motion City Soundtrack is all about, like crazy 90s shit, like super chunk and archers of loaf and, and like poster <laughs> children and all those kinds of, you know, the yeah. last thing he's talking about is like, you know, all American rejects and fallout boy, although those yeah. bands are rad too. And you talk to those guys Like you talk to the guy in all American rejects, all he wants to talk about is Def Leppard. You know, <laughs> you talk to the guy in fallout boy, all he wants to talk about is Iron Maiden. It's like, yeah, it's not what you think, you know, Yeah. I've even talked to the guy, I've talked to James Hetfield from Metallica. And all he wanted to talk about was James Taylor. Like he wanted to talk about like 70s <laughs> singer songwriters. Yeah, folk musicians
0: and stuff, big. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be so tribal and like, I like fat records, so therefore I only like music that goes, you know, or I like yeah. pop punk, so I I, I has to be Newfound Glory or something. It's like, dude, just love music. It's yeah. like, do you love music or do you love like, and I get it, people want yeah. to feel like they belong. Yeah. To something, you know, that's why yeah. they
0: all dress the same person. way. And you go, Why are you dressed exactly like the other person, but you're not a conformist?
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly, different, just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. But, like, um, you know, it's just anyway, I, you don't know, get carried away with all that that stuff. But, you know, the bottom line is like, I look at it like, What the hell does Sugar Call and Bad Astronaut have in common, other than the fact that I'm in the, both of those bands and they're both from Santa Barbara? And I go, You know what? Both of those bands went into it with a very humble um, mission to just make good make the songs as good as they can be and have fun with friends, you know, and if you do it with that way, I feel like you, it's a labor of love and then somehow it becomes kind of attractive and sexy and other people somehow are drawn to it. And I feel like people can tell that's the other thing. When I hear someone like you, like you're serious enough about music to have your own podcast about it and do all these kinds of things. It's like, and you care about bad astronaut. Makes me feel like it worked because yeah. I'm like, dude, if you do something and you put in that sort of secret ingredient, like you do it with, as a labor of love with your friends, just because, not with any sort of like end game strategy sort of thing that you're trying to do. I mean, of course, we want to be successful. We want people to hear the music, but it isn't like how do we get rich? How do we get famous? How do we get how do we get included in the cool new trend that's yeah. currently on the cover of the magazine? If as long as you remove those kind of things. And you just do it for the, the, I don't want to say the right reasons, because the right reasons are, I mean, if you're someone who's broke and you need to make money, the right reason to do it is to make money. So that's not the wrong reason. But like, it's like, if you just do it sort of without trying so fucking hard, sometimes it turns out okay. And sometimes it turns out more than okay. Sometimes you end up hearing your song on the radio and getting like big checks in the mail and going, oh shit, that's awesome. you know. (laughs) And sometimes you end up having people like, you know, want to buy it on vinyl 10 years later in a box set yeah. and it's like i look at some of these songs and i'm like oh my god I, it's so crazy that people take that song so seriously like we were literally like hysterically laughing in a room like <laughs> seeing how far we could push it and like trying yeah. so hard and feeling so hard to imitate something that we thought was cool by another band <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but that's that's how it works i guess and i'm sure yeah. those bands are the same thing Best thing yeah. I can tell you guys to do if you want to learn what it's like to be in a band, watch that movie that's on De- um, Disney Plus right now called Get Back, which is like the Peter Jackson, Beatles. guy, yeah. the Lord of the Rings movie. He, that, yeah. he got the footage of the Beatles making their last album, Let It Be. Yep. Dude, you, everyone, just, we all want to think that, that at least the Beatles of all bands are immune to the things that happen to every band. And then you watch that and it's so humbling because you're like, oh. They're just like every other fucking band in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The even the greatest struggle. band of
0: all time still didn't have their shit together Two all guys the time.
1: trying to be the leader, one guy kind of <laughs> begrudgingly being the, the benevolent dictator while the other guy would be, but he's too chaotic and erratic. And then the other guy yeah. who is equally brilliant, but just doesn't have the self-confidence to be the leader. And then the other yeah. guy that just is the smartest guy in the band probably who just shuts the fuck up and just waits for everybody. And that's Ringo. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, every band I've ever been in is exactly that. Except yeah. for the only difference is we aren't as, we aren't, at the end of, at the, end of the day, we're not, we're not writing Let It Be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For sure. So.
0: That concludes part one of our two-part conversation with the certifiable rock historian Marco DeSantis. Make sure to check out part two of this episode, which will play right after this to hear even more great insights about what it's like to watch Marco's lifelong friend get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and so much more. If you like what you heard on the show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel as well. Also, if you want to check out some of our written content or any of the products or merch that we have available, go to PoweredByRock.com to read our absolutely free rock and blog full of album reviews, interviews, and lists to keep you entertained. And find our gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on.